terror is. Hello. Do you live here? Nobody lives here. He has no mercy and no evil. Now no one sleeps. Get ready. This August, your wildest dreams will come true. How sweet, fresh meat. A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. The Dream Master. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Reconcinimation. I'm your host, John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're checking out how they hold up here in today's world. And that's right. It's officially Shocktober. We teased it last week with Alligator. We made it. We're we here. Sta- we did it. We started. We started with Alligator. Well, it's we like hit- Chris... Christmas starts earlier every year. Shocktober is going to have to start earlier every year. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I'm totally in. I'm 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 down for a a year of Shocktober. I know, I know. This is there's probably no That's more a different horrible podcast. horrible sounding words coming out of anybody's mouth to David than a year of Shocktober. But oh man. my god, <laughs> terrible! But th- this Shocktober is very special because we have our. 80s franchises that we're right in the middle of that we're going <laughs> to hit an, uh, an installment of each one uh, all month long. And we could not do this episode without the return of the Freddy to our Jason, our Michael Myers and our Leatherface. Welcome back, E.K. Wimmer from Laser Graves. Hey, hey. you shouldn't have buried me. I'm not <laughs> dead. Uh... <laughs> It's great to have you back. (laughs) Hey, guys. Yo, yo. Yeah. How's it going? What's going on? It's great. We're uh, we're excited to be here because we're talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master. It's it's, it's our ongoing series, the four of us together talking about Mm -hmm. the Nightmare movies. Mm -hmm. That's right. And and this Dream Master happens to be the second movie in the uh, Dream Trilogy within the franchise of Nightmare on Elm Street. So... I'm excited. This one's a lot of fun. 
the, the trilogy within the what do you call eight movies? An oct- uh, octology. Octology. That's, yeah. That sounds that sounds like a science of some sort. Sounds like a doctor. Called I'm the a doctor of octology. Yeah. yeah. It's like a dream within a dream. The the trilogy within the oct- right. octology. It's the night. It's the inception. It's the Nightmare on Elm Street inception. It's the inception of night. I don't know. Oh boy. Yeah. Part six of the inception. We'll get there. Oh, just we'll... like the ending of Inception. This conversation is confusing. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, EK, tell us what's going on with Laser Graves. What's what's the latest? Staying busy. Keep going. You know, just plugging along. We. I'd say this is the first year of all the, the years we've been doing it where we're finding uh, it's hard to stay a little on schedule because we've been pretty busy, but we're we're discovering that our listeners are very forgiving um, if we we are maybe a tad bit late on an episode or two, but the, the bonus is it means we're still doing it. <laughs> so yeah. it has to be a little bit of a trade-off, but you know, seasons in life and sometimes you got a lot of free time and sometimes you just don't, but I'm happy to still be podcasting. That's for sure. When, when you have a great show, the audience will be forgiving. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna hang in there a few extra days. They'll, they'll wait around. Yeah, I mean, people kiss did their reunion farewell tour four times or whatever, and people are still coming. So you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. The fans will always show up. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's great to have you back. Uh, you joined us for our looks back at Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and 3, which you can you can check those out in the archives at reconcinimation.com, along with the original Nightmare on Elm Street, which we covered a few years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. And we're going to start with our, our new segment, Six Degrees of Reconcinimation. Brent, you're going to pick a, a movie that... By the end of the episode, the rest of us are going to connect uh, to Nightmare on Elm Street 4 within six moves, like the Kevin Bacon game. Let's see. Nightmare on Elm Street 4. I'm going to keep it. We, I, You know, I just listened to our Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and in that podcast, I mentioned this movie. So I think let's go with Dreamscape from 1984. Uh, which was the same year that the original Nightmare on Elm Street uh, premiered. So mm-hmm. we're going to go Dreamscape. Okay. Keeping oh, it in the dream zone. Yeah. Okay. Did, right. I, so. did I say it was 1984 with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4? You Maybe. did. You did. But that's not true because that's 1988. Sorry. I've just got a lot of 84 <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> so, yeah. We've been talking about it a lot lately. But okay. So we, we will connect Dreamscape to Dream Master uh, by the end of the episode. Yeah, I figure I'm staying, I'm staying with the dream, the like the horror dream genre, the nightmare genre. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. All right, good luck. I wish um, you the best. Thank you. So, Brent, set the table. What's happening in, let, let's rewind. Let's go back in time to August 1988. What's, August. what's happening in, in the world? August 1988. Let's see. I'll do one better for you, John. I'm going to talk specifically about August 19th, 1988 this time around. We're going to start dialing in a little bit closer on these uh on these way back bits. Yeah. And uh I'm going to I'm going to talk specifically it. about the day. Uh so August 19th, 1988 was a Friday. Uh obviously it was the summer, so it was getting warmer. 
top song uh, on the Billboard charts at that time on that day was Roll With It by Steve Winwood. Ronald Classic. Reagan, our boy Ronald, was still president in 88, rocking it. Uh, Young Guns was the top movie at the box office. Oh. Um, the top shows uh, that were on around that time uh, that people would be watching on a Friday night like August 19th, 1988, we're going to be like Cheers, Charles in Charge, Star Trek, The Next Generation, uh, MacGyver, although those were on Monday, I know because the offseason was Monday Night Football and I'd always be mad because back then I didn't like football and MacGyver, <laughs> it's not on the air and I was pissed. Uh, <laughs> uh, what else is going on? Man, uh, I get a little fashion forward with you guys. Uh in, in the late 80s, uh, you know, short skirts, shoulder pads, and animal print were all the fad for the ladies. And uh, the guys were uh, rocking some Air Jordans, a lot of denim, and uh, a lot of track suits in the late 80s, which, John, I know, I know you're a fan of. I'm a because, fan. I, because yeah. of your love for the Sopranos, <laughs> you also have a love for track suits. I may have bought a number of track suits uh, when the Sopranos started airing. That, that may be yeah. true. Uh, that is true. I can vouch. <laughs> I saw it. I lived it. Yep. I lived it. John and his track, yep. track suit days. Yeah, they were different colors, too. I had to change it up. <laughs> they were. Uh, it, they really were. This is not even a bit. That's those true stories. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, video games were also really happening in 88. Uh, Tetris was a big deal. Double Dragon. Uh, Maniac Mansion. Those were like kind of the top video games at the time. So... Uh yeah, eighty eight man, rock and roll. Nice. Wow. All right. Yeah. Good year. Yeah. Uh, good David, year. catch everybody up who may maybe they don't remember. Um, maybe they have they they don't remember Nightmare on Elm Street four specifically. So why don't you catch everybody up? What's happening in this movie? Well, it's written by Brian Helgeland. Is that am I saying that right? Helgeland. Yeah. Helgeland, and then Jim and Ken Wheat, uh, and directed by. Rennie Harlan, who we've had on the podcast before, mm-hmm. um, a nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master sees the return of Freddy Krueger to Elm Street and the remaining dream warriors battle a once more resurrected Freddy in their dreams, only to have a new group of teens take up the fight. As usual, the parents just don't understand <laughs> what's happening <laughs> and the teens are taken out one by one. So whether it's through a brutal asthma attack, the sick waterbed drowning, a Kafka-esque transformation, uh, or just some knives to the gut, Freddy seems unstoppable. Uh, but one scene inherits inherits Kristen's dream powers and confronts Freddy, the true quip master, once and for all. Nice. I like that, that was well I, done. Yeah. I, I like the play on parents just don't understand because, you know, just to put it all together, Will Smith's <laughs> two best songs ever were parents just don't understand and nightmare on my street. And if you yes. haven't heard that one, check it out. Very yep. true. All, all coming to a head right here. And I think this is the movie that we can crown. This is the start of Freddie as a true quip master. Uh, right. I mean, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think three planted the seeds, but four is like when it really got heavy handed. No doubt. Welcome to prime time is the, is the one that started it in the third movie. Or is four is the one where he, if he was in the Olympics as a gymnast, 
just did the perfect routine between going too far and not going enough because that's the way I see it. It's like, and not just in the puns and everything it's going to be in every account is four is like his, his uh, 10 score performance at the Olympics. This is for me, I'm going to front load it and then I'm not going to apologize Four is kind of the perfect balance. And I think a lot of that is about the puns because they're fun, but they're not quite part five, six, you know, they're not that, they're not that good to be honest. They're okay. Yeah. EK on, uh, so I'm with you. So this is interesting for me upon rewatching because I, I know we're about to get into the whole, like what were your wind, blah, blah. Yeah. All that. But I will say that I used to love this one for all those reasons, but upon rewatching it, it didn't land for me as much. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like three was kind of a better balance for me specifically, but oh, I'm, totally, I'm totally with you. Cause this one, because of the hype machine surrounding this one and like just everything that we're going to discuss, like this one for a long time was exactly in that sweet spot for me, but it was, it was yeah. weird. like upon this, Re, uh, uh, like researching for 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 our record like it just it it missed a little bit which was interesting i didn't expect that because i think for the longest time i felt like this is my favorite of the of, yeah of good the movie. yeah that's the point of the podcast right yeah yeah, yeah. it was interesting well yeah. it's, it's always I, i've always thought that especially with freddie because he's he changes so much throughout the the franchise that it's what version of freddy do you is your freddy you know yep. for me like mm -hmm. i loved i love part one part one will always be my my favorite but that's a completely different freddy than you know starting with three and then definitely four and five and six um and this is a this is just such a different ball game at this point in the in the series for many different reasons which we'll get into but um it's it's kind of like whatever is your freddy maybe it's three which is a mix of both or four like UEK, where it's it's like it is all about the the one-liners, the delivery, him as the character, you know. Yeah, I would say, and we'll get on, you know, at the end we'll we'll come back to this, but I would say yes, I agree. The puns are horrible in this, and everything about it is pretty cheesy. And I don't think this is my favorite Freddie, but I think that this is probably the most quintessential Freddy Krueger of all the movies. If people were to say the most pop culture balanced Freddy would probably be part four, in my opinion, whether it's the best Freddy or not is a different conversation. But like, if I was to think of the classic Freddy, here it is yeah, right I here, you know, it's a good balance of humor, scary, all of that. Yeah. I would, I would actually, I, I for, on that point, I would agree completely. Uh, especially the look, like, I don't know. I, I found myself when watching him in this one, his look, to me felt like the look that I remembered as a child. And I think it's because like, this is right before, you know, Freddy's nightmares. Like there's a bunch of like MTV stuff happening. There's a bunch of like, I don't know, like six flags. And, you know, we had Astro world in Houston, but like they would have like horror nights and Freddy was like the star of those. And it was like the mask and all mm -hmm. that were, were kind of this, this Freddy. Well, David polled uh, polled 323 people outside our studio. <laughs> right here. 320, 
three you said yep yep yeah that was the limit that was the, <laughs> the most he that was, said that, he was that was everybody but he uh but 90 94 of them said part four was their favorite movie oh wow i <laughs> didn't right. see that one coming that's right. for sure <laughs> right, right david yeah they all had they and they it was they all had it in the chamber no no one had to really think about it there was yeah. like maybe there was maybe like four teenagers who waffled between six and four um but and had to think about it but otherwise i was getting elderly people i was getting kids i was getting non-english speakers they all when i said what's your favorite they had it in the chamber dream master dream master yeah yeah and i i have to come clean and apologize to you guys i feel it's been keeping me up at night i can't hold it in anymore my wife's mad at me because we've gone bankrupt. I paid all of those people <laughs> off to say part four. And oh I'm, sorry. I'm uh, sorry. I'm uh, sorry. Skewing the results. Yeah. Money well oh, spent. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do it again in a second. <laughs> no, but I this really I, I think this is the one that is, you know, if you ask around for Freddy fans and Nightmare on Elm Street fans, this is kind of the one that most people will point to as their favorite either that's the one that you know was the hit at the they were the right age when they saw it or or you know it just hit that right tone that mix and it was definitely getting friendlier for a younger audience with this one so so this so jason jason was like the fourth movie is kind of like when you finally have jason Voorhees as jason Voorhees, right kind of yeah that's that's the the third third movie well Well, I mean, yeah, he's I in the, the second, but the third's when he gets his mask. That's right, what, you right. know, you guys are yeah, thinking. Yeah, gets the mask. But he's still, doesn't he still in like overalls in that one? Or he's he still, still, he doesn't have the 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 full Jason look from start to finish isn't until the fourth movie. Okay. So, but yeah. three sets it up. Set, three sets it up. Yeah. yeah. And then four yeah. is where. He's not wearing a paper bag on his head anymore. Yeah. In the... It's a potato <laughs> yeah. sack at bed. <laughs> paper bag. Come on, man. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a fedora. That's for damn sure. <laughs> um, all right. So when, EK, let's start with you. When was the first time you saw it? Did you, uh, was it a home video? Did you see it when it came out or later? Yeah, no. Um, so this is the only reason. I'm actually surprised people do like this one because growing up, it was part three was typically the one people thought was really cool. Part two, as we talked about, I'm so glad is starting to get love years later Mm because I think that that's probably the creepiest Freddy. Part one for me, and still to date, is probably my favorite Freddy because I think it's the one that I remember the best and I think it's the scariest. But part four was the one that I was introduced to Freddy in a way that I could rewatch. So I saw part one and part two at a friend's house. You know, we weren't supposed to see it, but it was kind of a one and done. I didn't get to revisit it. Same with part three, but part four was, and I don't know if I've told this story in the podcast before, but my dad had a friend at work and he dubbed all these VHS tapes, you know, movies and stuff. And because we didn't have a VCR at the time, and then he brought one home one day and he had a box full of recorded movies. So it was like all of a sudden we had a video store in our house and it was a big, big moment. So that's where I got my love for Escape from New York and all these, you know, Clash of the Titans. And in there was Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which meant this was the first time I could, when I had a moment, pop it in on my own time and rewatch it. And I just would watch it over and over and over. And so for me being, I, you know, I was probably, it was right after it came out. So maybe nine years old or something. Perfect time, you know, perfect time to be mm-hmm. a little scared, but also think he was pretty cool. 
and be able to learn the lines and just study what was going on. And, and so that's the reason, really, if I'm being totally honest, it's not like that I think this movie is the best or or he's at his, his peak. I just think that it was the first one I was able to actually really connect with multiple times and not just once. Mm-hmm. Yep, totally get that. Brent, what about you? Yeah, I I remember begging, begging like my dad. We would we would go on bike rides and we would bike ride through the neighborhood and the entire time I'd just be begging him if to go see this movie in the theater cuz I was fully caught up in the Freddy frenzy and aware like coming off the heels of part 3 like I was a diehard fan but I was only 10 when this came out so it's like not old enough to really like it's got to be like you got to go with a parent and all that mm-hmm. it's not you're not just getting in to go see this movie but I begged and begged and begged and was denied cold hard no the entire time and so I didn't see it until it came out on VHS but over the course of when it was released in the theater and when it came out on VHS I never quit Sounding my dad. Nice. That's awesome. That's EK is holding up the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 VHS uh, video cassette. Yeah, you know, I like to do every episode. I have to do a show and tell for a a listener base. Yeah. Because that's what you do. You show things they can't see. That's right. That's that's what makes it so good. That's what makes it so good. This is what little baby you was holding and begging his parents for. (laughs) I was... I mean, I just imagine now if one of my kids had just been this damn pushy, like I would lose my mind. But I continued to grind on this request throughout the summer and fall and until the movie came out on VHS. And as soon as it came out on VHS, he cracked and he was like, yes, watch it. And I watched it over and over and over again. I loved this movie so much because it had all those like kind of for me at the time you know what i thought were hilarious one-liners and quips and things like that and on top of it like there was this uh like special effects kind of uh presentation that had been done that i think was maybe done on mtv or from some company. I don't exactly remember where I saw it, but I remember seeing all the behind the scenes, like special effects stuff. And like, I was fully into this movie. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure that was MTV. Cause I remember yeah. the same, the same campaign they were doing. Yeah. So like I had seen that and I had, I had recorded that on VHS and watched it over and over again. And so by the time this thing finally dropped on, on video, like I was fully in like that, Next winter, like I got really into special effects makeup and like asked my parents to get me like latex and all sorts of shit. Yeah, for, of course. Gotta for, be funny for, for Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah. I had the glove, like it was it was on and it was all based off this movie, and I was really into it. It's also when I learned that I'm a really shit shitty special effects makeup person <laughs> and quit. That was where um, your career being, started. Being a career goal started and ended. ended. Boy, when you were you ten know, years the, old, your first ten years attempt. old, I was like, "This, yeah. I'm, I cannot make a Freddy mask. I suck." <laughs> yeah, biggest uh, stars burn brightest and then die. Yeah, not yeah, like exactly. Not like uh, our our boy Ke- uh, Corey Feldman. And uh, no, he was uh, awesome. He, he I was, was like, great at making masks. If Corey <laughs> can do it, why can't I do it? Damn yeah. it! Uh, I still deal with that. I talk to my therapist about it pretty frequently. Anyway, um. <laughs> 
but yeah, I was like fully, fully in. But the first time I saw it, VHS after it released in theaters, but I knew everything about this movie prior to seeing it because I was like reading Fangoria magazine at the time. Like when we go to the grocery store, they would have it on the shelf and I would like look through it because I wouldn't necessarily be able to buy it, but I just like thumb through it and be like, yeah, all right, this is awesome. So I was, I was fully, fully cooked, man. You were in. Yeah. The cult of Freddy was strong with this one. (laughs) (laughs) It would no doubt. Looks like you get to keep your membership card to the horror fandom. (laughs) It's, it wasn't until the fifth movie that I finally saw one for the first time in the theater. Gotcha. Yeah. Which we'll talk about next year, but yeah, I'm just, Save that story for a year from another, now. Another time. Tune um, in next year. David, how about you? This is you probably this is probably a sixth or seventh time watch for you, I'm guessing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh no, no. I actually never went back to see this one. Uh as legendarily I will recall, the first F- Freddy film I ever saw was Dream Child. Uh, at a, at a friend's start house. with number five that's <laughs> trial, the way to go. By, trial by <laughs> yep. fire yeah. and i was not i didn't even want to see it not necessarily <laughs> i wasn't really but but i think it might have been because freddie was now this mtv personality entering the mainstream a kid like me who wasn't watching horror movies is now like oh there's this like here's this funny whatever so it's like all right like th- that's probably because he be he became popular is the reason i even bothered to watch the film with my uh my other with my friends so i and then i just never got around to backfill you know uh so this is like a first time watch um dream child uh, was enough for you for a while (laughs) yeah well and i and i the thing is i liked it like i liked it (laughs) enough to be like oh that okay i kind of like you know this was fine (laughs) like uh I didn't get it. I didn't understand what was going on, you know, storyline wise. I mean, this within itself, it makes sense, but like, I didn't have any of the history or um, any of that. So anyway, uh, yeah, this was, this was a first time watch this coming up for the recording of this podcast. And you know, what a, what a fun time it was to, to, to see Freddie in a whole lot of like, spotlight like he is well lit in almost every <laughs> in, single yes, shot yeah. in every way too like yeah, yeah. literally it, figuratively and, but you got it but i think it was like all right we're gonna make we're gonna make this prosthetic shine like this prosthetic looks awesome so we're gonna we're gonna show off what we can do with it i guess yeah. Yeah. um but it doesn't you know i feel like he should i feel like freddie should just be wet all the time you know the way he looks like why isn't he wet and he's not you know he doesn't he looks clean he sort of looks it's all very clean and kind of, um, I don't know, a little too perfect for the screen, mm. you know. But it's this is such a bright movie. This is <laughs> like there's very little that goes on in the dark. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's part part of what go, is going along with the evolution of the franchise is is that you compare one and four, or say four and five together, like completely different looks, just yeah. mm-hmm. design lighting design wise for the movie. I mean in the first movie and the second one too, like he is intentionally held in shadow. You really don't get a good look at him at all in the first one, maybe right at the very end, but, and yeah, he's, I mean, he's like, he's wet. He's got that wet look as if he was just like, the skin is raw from being like, he's permanently raw from that burn. Um, And he's a monster that you don't want to see what he looks like. And here, it's full on 100% lighting, daytime, 
you know, as we record this, EK is on the beach right now. I am. You yeah. must be very careful because yeah, I'm looking for shark shark gloves right now. Shark yeah. <laughs> you know, know, I will Freddy say likes the beach. I think it was a good point though. Is it? It's true that uh, this the makeup looks so damn good that the first two the budget's not there you know, like you're building and you're building. And by the time you get to four, it's a monumental franchise that you can pull those effects out of the shadows and showcase them in bright lights and kind of show off. I think that that's what this film to me feels like that. Like it's really kind of a show off film of saying like, we're bringing in the best talent and we're going to show why Freddie's killing everybody at the box office or whatever, because look at how damn good this looks. We'll light it in broad daylight on the mm -hmm. beach with sunglasses. You know, I think that yeah. I, maybe that doesn't work for everybody. Cause I would say that's what I loved about part two was that he was so dark and gritty, but it was also probably a clever way of disguising that the makeup was nowhere near on par with what it is by the time we get to, to four, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that that, like, I think, I don't know we'll we'll get into this probably a little deeper but in general the special effects and freddy and and things like that like part of those are are kind of the highlights of this this movie right mm -hmm. like i mean because mm -hmm. a lot of there's not a lot of time dedicated to like character development you know there's a lot of these new characters that are flat and like one dimensional it's all about uh, focusing yeah. on Freddy <laughs> yeah. and focusing on like these, these, you know, like special effects set pieces and things, things like that. And of course, you know, some of them were really well done and because they were so well done and so much money was spent on them, there wasn't a lot of money for all of them. Uh, and some of them are a throwaway, but some of the ones that are done well are done really well. Yeah, well, there's a very specific reason why this movie is it leans so hard on the visuals and the gags and the set pieces rather than the story and the characters. And we'll come back to that in a little right. bit. But yeah, well, hey, what was your first experience, John? You didn't, I, you didn't I remember first. seeing this. I was on a vacation the summer of 1989 uh, in the lovely city of Groton, Connecticut. Oh, oh okay. shout out. <laughs> shout out to all our <laughs> yeah. listeners. Shout out. Yeah. Groton. We we went my we used to go on to some some oh, You're weird thinking Groton. Is yeah. it Groton? Is it Groton? I don't remember. Groton or It's Groton. over over by New New London? Yes. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. You've been everybody. Lovely. Been it's lovely this time. They have here. a sign out front that says John Diner came here once in 1989. <laughs> <laughs> No, my sister lived in New London. Sorry. Anyway, uh, side side story. Yeah, that's funny. Well, there was I remember we went to like look at a submarine like there was some submarine. The USS Nautilus. There it is. Yeah, it's true. Been there. What the hell? Wow. <laughs> Why I'm on the show, place. guys. This place is happening. I've never even heard of Groton. It's a must see. You got to go. Your next vacation. It was the first nuclear powered submarine. Yeah. Oh, wow. And it's now a, like a museum, basically, that you can tour. Um, hmm. So we were seeing that, and I remember we were at a Days Inn, and uh, late at night, ready for bed. I'm, I'm, I should be asleep, but I'm not. So my dad was going through the channels, and he stopped on the Dream Master, and we watched it in the hotel there. And that was the first time I saw it, and that was like eighty. I mean, eighty-seven, eighty-eight, eighty-nine were peak Freddy years. I mean, he was 
like you guys, and we'll talk more about this, but he was everywhere. It was impossible to avoid him. So um, saw that there. And then I didn't see it again. I had gotten one, two, and three on on VHS, and I didn't see the rest of them again till that awesome DVD box set came out in like 99, 2000. That was really fantastic box set. And uh, that was where I kind of rediscovered part four. Nice. Wow. So yeah, that's so, that's my journey. So from Groton to 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 forgotten. Forgot Ah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, if if EK that, is so that's smart their slogan of the city. <laughs> if EK, if you're so smart, what year in the eighteenth century was Groton incorporated as a town? Ooh. I'm gonna go with Deep Cuts. <laughs> 18 18th century so 1700s oh 17 oh i thought you said 1800s uh 1778 oh 1705 i was not, way off you're not a patriot <laughs> i'm not a true patriot <laughs> they at did all. not yeah. they did not have that plaque hanging near the submarine yeah <laughs> apparently not but yeah i did not retain that fact you know <laughs> I, i'm wondering did anybody else re-watch this over the years because this is one i've never stopped watching part four but I guess I guess I watch really one through four pretty regularly, you know, maybe once every couple years, I'll revisit the first four, um, five, six, seven, maybe not so much, but I just curious because, you know, revisiting when you haven't seen it in a really long time has got to be a little jarring when yeah. all the jokes land as a kid and then as a grown ass adult, it's like a little embarrassing. But when you grow up with knowing the jokes, maybe they're not as you don't notice yeah. the subtlety mm-hmm. over it. You just, you know, what's coming and you accept it and move on. It, for me, I, I mean, I haven't seen it in years. I haven't seen any of the sequels really in years, um, except for when we're covering them here. So it had been a while, but, uh, you know, I had watched them a number of times after that DVD set came out. And it was each time I watched, like, I really liked for the first time I saw it. And each time, I've seen it since I've kind of liked it less and less. And maybe that's exactly why what you were saying that, yeah. you know, you know exactly what's coming and you just start to, the more you watch it, I feel like you see kind of the, the weaknesses of the movie. And just for mm-hmm. me, I'm such a fan of the first one that like, I want more of the first one and I get more annoyed that they went so far away from that as they went on yeah. and then they got totally lost, but. Yeah, I uh, for me, I, you know, when John got his box set, I think I borrowed it and I watched all of them at that point. And it was. But that's been maybe 20, 25 well, years do we ago. Have, do we have to put a year on it? Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was 77 years ago. Yeah. Right. It was 1706. <laughs> no. uh, 1705. Oh, sorry. Damn. We were, we were in the Groton. incorporated town of Groton. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I it was, but it was that was a while ago. It was decades ago, guys. Uh, decades ago, and so uh, I hadn't really re- rewatched them again since, and uh, until and until we go through them for the for the podcast. Yeah. But it's been kind of great. Like as much as I know that I don't like the fifth and sixth one, like I kind of want to yeah. watch this <laughs> yeah, sure. one now. You yeah, know, it's but it's also because I know I don't like the fifth and sixth one, I also want to wait <laughs> so that I, so I don't have to maybe watch it twice. It's kind of interesting to to pick apart, like really hammer down on what doesn't work on those ones. <clears throat> so we'll, we'll we'll get to those. We'll get to those sooner yeah. rather than later. 
Yeah. Um, but all right. So let's let's rewind. Let's go back to part three comes out and it is a huge hit. And what's the fallout of that? It's Freddie Mania, right? No, oh, it's Bonanza. Freddie Fren- Freddy Frenzy, man. That's <laughs> what, that's what I'm calling it. Yeah. I mean, he was he became a pop culture icon of the late '80s. I mean, he was all over MTV. He was TV appearances everywhere, like just general public appearances everywhere. Um, and he got his own his own show, uh, Freddie's Nightmares, right? Yeah, when absolutely. Did, when did he get the endorsement of Pepsi or Coke or whatever? When that's got to start around here too. It's right? somewhere around yeah. here. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember. If it's right before the fourth movie or right after, but definitely in this zone. Yeah. So, so like I was saying, I, I think it was right around this time because at the same time, and I, I don't know. So I don't know if it was the same, at like six flags, but in Houston, we had a theme park called Astro world and they had like a Halloween havoc thing. And it was all sponsored by Pepsi and, <laughs> and their, and their Halloween havoc type thing. I don't think it was actually called that. I think it was called like maybe something Fre- Freddy's something or other. And, but like they did one October, it was all Freddy based. Like he was, he was like running around the theme park. They had like uh, performances and stuff where they would do like kind of like horror show type performances with Freddy as the centerpiece. And it was all Pepsi and all Freddy. Well, like an Indiana Jones uh, spectacular kind of. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Except, except you know, more like a traveling show type thing. Yeah. They didn't have any big, you know, boulders or or special effects things like <laughs> fire of, of that out. of that nature. No, no, like anyway. I'm just, just going to refer back to the penis Freddy from. I, Friday. I'm going there. <laughs> oh yeah, you're going. There. I'm, I'm from, headed right there. We can't from, stop you guys. Yeah, yeah, but none of that. But it was it was. I mean, he was like a thing for, and I think it was for two consecutive years before, before Astroworld was purchased, I think by Six Flags and they kind of had a different deal going, but yeah, I remember, I mean, and that was right during this time frame. Yeah. I mean, it was everywhere. Like it was crazy. And it's so strange because, and I know there were like, church groups speaking out against it at the time that you know this was a character that was a child murderer at yeah. minimum like yeah and it's implied there it was a child molester or some kind of abuser on top of right it, right not a well, good in, in this one they say dirty child murderer yeah. which was an interesting choice of words you know because mm-hmm. that's why the remake got so much um, attention was because they just leaned in hard on yeah, the yeah yeah you yeah. know the other aspect of it but this one I did pick that little tone I you know they were they were kind of um, laying down the groundwork that maybe there was a lot more going on there so yeah well yeah. and b- back in the first one I mean they all but say it yeah and it's basically impl- it's very implied yeah. yeah and really the first two but uh, you know so now you're taking that character and specifically marketing that character to kids. Like, right. like it's he's it's kind hero, of insane. Like he's a hero now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how Freddy. many of how many of us owned a Freddy glove or the Freddy sweater and glove? I, what? I had it too. Yeah, yeah no doubt. 
You I still have the sweater. So. You ran around? Dude, the, yeah. Freddy, the Freddy glove was like, for a time, my most prized possession. I was... It was great. Yeah, I have a I have a glove sweater and fedora still that I got for Halloween, and I just keep them in the closet. Dude, it's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It's good times. You know, I and think were, were it not like ninety nine degrees, you'd probably oh be yeah, wearing I'd be it. wearing yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he was becoming marketed to a younger and younger audience, and you you know you bring in the the ace up your sleeve, like the fat boys or something that we'll get to. And yeah, it's, it's a win-win, you know, now he's like the cool fun guy, you know, he's not just a scary killer, but he's the guy who you can party with in your dreams. Yeah. He's been, <laughs> he's been, you know, MTV. Yeah, definitely MTV. Well, our young. generation was so, you know, MTV was like for us, you know, it yeah. was, it was, that was, well, they even All do product it. placement for MTV in this movie. You know, yeah, I mean, it's like true. it's it's. Oh like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. So, oh wait, I missed that. I missed that. I guess when no, he's when, yeah, when he's with his waterbed and all that, and he's watching MTV. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Um, which a little 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 trivia note, uh, tying right back into the last time Ek was on the show with Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which you can listen to in the archives, reconcinemation.com. Do you know who the uh, pinup girl was in that poster and in, in inside the waterbed? Don't do it. I, I, who? It's it's a Hope Marie Carlton co-lead of Hard Ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> oh, there yeah. you go. Still in the water. Still, still in the water. Uh, yep, still topless awesome. and still in the water. <laughs> yeah. How's that for a wet dream? <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. Isn't that his line in the movie? Yeah. Something yeah. I'm like just that, borrowing right? his yeah. lines now, his dad jokes. Yeah. I just don't understand how there was no penis monster in this movie. How did you take such a huge element uh, of the third one and not bring it back here? They blew the penis monster budget on the Roach Motel effect. Yeah. <laughs> they sure did blow it, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> So Freddy is huge right now, but what in 1988, where are Jason, where's Michael Myers? I don't think Leatherface is anywhere right now, but, uh, I mean, they're, they're clinging to life. Like, yeah, well, right. We, eight, we, well, 88, 88 had Halloween four, right. Which was not return. Great. Yeah. I mean, it was the return coming off of that debacle of Halloween three. Sorry. It's a little personal opinion thrown in there for you. <laughs> Uh, and then Friday Thirteenth is coming off seven, uh, which is uh, the new blood, new, new blood, Jesus, yep. and it's one year before Manhattan, right? You know, but I mean, if if you were to ask people, you know, Friday Thirteenth seven and eight are are definitely uh, you know hanging by a thread. Well, I yeah, think horror. Oh, go ahead, EK. I was gonna say, and we're between. Um... Texas Chainsaw. You're between two and three right now, too. Right. So yeah, like yeah. you said, just non-existent. Yeah, yeah, and horror is in such a, you know, we've talked about many '80s horror movies on the show. Horror became such a huge genre in the early '80s, with the Halloween being a hit and Friday the Thirteenth being a hit, and then the slew of imitators that comes out. Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of as it's starting to die a little bit nightmare on elm street comes out and it gives such a shot in the arm to the genre that a whole different spin what wes craven was able to do with with that was taken a whole different direction and and 
you know, really introduce the supernatural into it and story-wise everywhere you can go. And by this point, there's been again, you know, five more year, four, four more years of just rinse and repeat and imitation after imitation that the genre is again really dying. And Friday the 13th is, is struggling. I mean, they had the total box office for part seven was 19 million, which was nothing compared to a Nightmare on Elm Street 4's 49 million that it makes. So huge difference between the two. And, you know, Friday the 13th is starting to do gimmick after gimmick each movie to try to like, you know, they're throwing everything against the wall to see what'll stick. Halloween, which has had that long gap between the last time we saw Michael Myers, it was a big deal that they were resurrecting him. Well, that's a later movie, but he's returning <laughs> for the fourth movie. Um, and that was also, you know, it didn't take like they wanted it to and was not uh, the relaunch of that franchise that they were hoping for. So and at the same time, those are going down. But this one is like totally, you know, on fire. Yeah, I would add, though, just to kind of play devil's advocate with those franchises is that comparing Friday the 13th with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is like a string quartet to a symphony orchestra as far as budget goes, because what Friday needed to put into their film to get a return was um, a lot less. It was mainly a few good kills and a lot of nobody actors and, you know, very limited location. So your overhead is pretty small, which means that, yeah, you might've only pulled in 19 million or something, but that profit is, is good enough to keep that franchise going. Whereas with Nightmare on Elm Street, you're going above and beyond with a special effects bonanza. So your budget's going to be exponentially higher, mm -hmm. which means you need that profit to be higher. So it would be kind of interesting to see the breakdown, you know, obviously not right now, but as far as like budget versus profit for both of those films, because I can't imagine Friday and Nightmare were operating on the same budgets at this point. They just well, didn't, they didn't need to. Well, and I think another thing to think about is that you know, for Friday and Halloween and uh, Texas Chainsaw, like all the all the antagonists are silent mask wearing killers, right? And yeah. and those movies are about like their their kills and like creative kills and like gruesome kills. And the MPAA right now is just like fleecing people fleecing studios and not allowing them to show any of that stuff. So what you have with nightmare is an antagonist who you can inject personality into yep. because he interacts and like he says quick quips and, and, you know, like he can, he can narrate and dialogue while he's terrorizing these people where maybe you're not able to do as gruesome of kill, but you can narrate and dialogue over it to add extra entertainment value to it, you know? And I think that that helped propel mm -hmm. nightmare during this time frame through that right over, over what the other movies could do. Yeah. It's no different than being like 
there's a rock star for a reason and there's a reason why instrumental artists aren't as popular is you can mm-hmm. sing along with the rock star you can sing along with the beatles that's that's freddy krueger you can go on the playground put on a glove and do a little one-liner whereas if you're pretending to be jason yeah it's pretty boring you know so <laughs> There's a reason why he took off is that you could impersonate him. He could become a hero in a weird way. And so pretty brilliant, you know, when you think about it. And and that's yeah. the spin with this one is he's the, the quote unquote hero. He's the lead. He's the protagonist, really, that you you make him the one that you're sort of rooting for. And you dumb down the teens that barely have characters and or they have one note that they're playing, you know, like, like, uh, Brooke, uh, Brooke Thies. She, all we know about her as a person is that she hates bugs. She does not like, yeah. she, she, she likes to work, work out. She likes to work out. Yeah. 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 Two yeah. things. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Why on earth would we care about her? <laughs> well, and I think for me and rewatching it, that's also why this one doesn't, stand up for me as strong like as much as now that i'm older as it did when i was younger watching it yeah i it, on rewatch like i think the third movie is because i i'll i i feel like the third movie is still like a gateway to the jason or to the to the freddy that we see here mm-hmm. but like i feel like the balance of like the character development of the teens and and what we see going on with them and kind of the quips from from Freddie and stuff are really they really help equal each other out and make for like a a an interesting and and compelling kind of story where this is so one-sided that unfortunately with age and and you know changes in in you know what you find funny and things like that like it just doesn't stand up as as much for for me yeah, totally. It's uh, I, I agree with that completely. Mm. All right, let's talk about the uh, how this movie in particular came to be. So, three comes out, does very well. They immediately New Line Cinema immediately wants to keep the keep the train moving. Uh, so they approach uh, Wes Craven to you know continue his participation that he had kind of returned story wise. He had returned. Uh, for the third film and they gave him the opportunity to come up with a story for the fourth one and he came up with i don't i've not i don't think the script is out there but apparently it was some kind of time travel story that they were like very quickly no thank you (laughs) nope not the direction we're gonna go like we want to take the way we're already pointing and go much further with it so um so they parted ways with Wes and we won't see him. I, he doesn't come back until the seventh film, which he takes over completely. Yeah. Right. New nightmare is yeah. when he comes and he comes back strong. You know? Yeah. I'm yeah. very excited to when yeah. we get to that one in yeah, me too. three years. <laughs> um, <laughs> we but, could speed uh, it up. We could speed this whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> we could just jump right guys. to it. Yeah. That's what I was saying at the beginning. Let's do a year of Shocktober. Let's just get into it. Yeah. <laughs> Enough small talk, guys. Let's get to part six. <laughs> yeah. Part seven. Um, Let's go. The funny thing is at this point, Paramount, knowing that Jason is in trouble as a franchise, comes to New Line to make a deal to have a, the 
Freddy versus Jason crossover movie. Yes. And that was, yeah. Mm-hmm. David Fuck is yeah. in. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. And See I remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that, like all that discussion, you know, when we were young, when this first came out, I remember all that discussion, like really taking, um, taking, uh, you know, catching fire. And like all my friends were talking about it, that it was, you know, they wanted it to happen. Everyone like felt like it was going to happen and then it didn't. But New Line um, knew that Freddie was much more valuable on the street than Jason was. So they they turned the deal down, knowing that like we hold the cards right now because our guy is the is the hit and you need us more than we need you. So Paramount was the much bigger studio, New Line much smaller at this point. So it was kind of risky for them to turn that deal down, but they did. And it wouldn't be for another 15 years before we'd get that movie. I mean, we get, we get the, the tease of it in, uh, in 93 with Jason goes to hell, but yeah. um, we don't see the full movie till much later on. So it's, it's interesting that that happens, but in the meantime, they're still developing it. Uh, a writer named William Kotzwinkel uh, kind of came up with the dream master storyline taking the idea from uh, Dream Warriors and kind of continuing it. Uh, Brian Helgeland, who's a big time screenwriter and director, comes in and does a rewrite on it that is, I think pretty much what you see is is most of what Helgeland contributed. And then uh, we get another another rewrite by, uh, by Ken and Jim Wheat. Um, so all three are credited as the writers. Uh, as far as directors, they actually made an offer to Tom McLaughlin, who directed Friday the 13th Part 6, which is, as we talked about, uh, I think one of the more fun Friday the 13th movies, because he's Tom is really trying to make it almost like a satire of itself. Well, yeah, they, and coming off the heels of five. Yeah. It's great. They had, well, they had to try something different, and they yeah, tried, and yeah. that didn't work either, at the time at least. Um, but you know, Tom wants full creative control and new line won't give him that they will. That's really, it's their movie and they just want someone who's going to make the version that they're really looking for. In the meantime, they'd come up with some concepts and actually started shooting some visual effects elements without a script, without a director. They're just kind of, they're coming up with gimmicks that they like and they're just getting them shot. So isn't that where the pizza scene came from, though? Yeah, I think, I the think pizza one of those. Scene was, I think one of those is the pizza scene. Yeah, which holds up pretty well. Huh. It's pretty cool. Which and that pizza was was uh, created by John Carl Buechler, who is the director of Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. Oh. And he's a you know longtime special effects department head and uh, creator, and and the only reason he didn't do the rest of the movie is because he was doing he was directing Friday the Thirteenth. So. Um, so in comes a young Finnish director by the name of Rennie Harlan. And apparently he only really got the job because they just, they couldn't find a director. And he was literally hanging around the office to the point where he would just, he like annoyed Bob Shea, who was the head of new line, um, to the point where he got finally got in the room and got an interview and he was kind of the only person left standing. So they're like, well, we got to start shooting. So you're, you're the director. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And that's that a way to get a job. Yeah it's, like, yeah. it's like me annoying my dad, Bob, to see this uh, movie. <laughs> exactly. Have you guys seen He's grinding? Did you guys see his first film? No prison. That's it's a really pretty cool film. I have know? not, so, but I've always heard good things about it. Yeah. It's got some cool effects. It's got a cool tone. So even though it seems like he just was right place, right time and unknown. I don't know if you've seen prison, I could see him handling this film. So I think it, it worked out for him probably amazing, but yeah, he does tell those stories of just you know, making himself present yeah. at the right times <laughs> obnoxiously. And, um, and they just finally wore down and said, you got it. You, you're the, you're the one. Yeah. He's like Neo. He, he's the one. Yeah. Just like Neo. <laughs> he's exactly like he's the, Rennie Harlan is the Neo of the nightmare on Elm street. <laughs> sounds about right um but he's got he's got he's coming into a very problematic situation um there's famously the 1988 writer's strike which is entirely different than the 2007 writer's strike the current 2023 writer's strike that's going on as we record this what Um, makes it different john uh they were striking there was (laughs) (laughs) no ai (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, no AI, I, uh, no AI on that one. Yes, um, no bots, no bots. But uh, so he's he's you know he's talked a lot about how they would they really didn't know what they were shooting. Like he had some concepts and he knew the story idea, but they didn't actually have a script. So they knew like, all right, we're gonna shoot. We have Alice's bedroom set is ready, so we need Alice and. We'll figure it out in the morning. (laughs) Winging it. It's such an expensive property, too. That's wild. It is. It's crazy that they didn't just wait. You know, that's that balance of the studio wanting to keep, like I said, keep the train moving and get this movie back in theaters as quickly as possible. But would it have been better to wait, actually have a script or a full script, and make the story better would it have would it have done as well or better or would they have lost the momentum it's it's hard to say i don't think they would have lost momentum at that point yeah i don't think anybody was coming for the script honestly by part four right so it probably was a smart call for just keeping the franchise going well and that's and that's coming back to why they leaned into the effects and the set pieces so much in this movie is because they had to because they didn't really have a lot of dialogue and a lot of story that they could they could connect the dots from the set pieces and make your story you know yeah and a lot of the actors were you know i, I think a lot of people um kind of bash the actors in these movies but it's hard for actors if they don't have a script like they're basically just making up their dialogue and you know they're just going with it it's um we talked a lot about well, that right. in the Friday the 13th movies well, and there, again, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier. There's just no character development for any of them. You know, like these characters are so thin and flimsy, you know, like it's not, that's not their fault, you know? No, definitely not their fault. Yeah. When you were given no script yeah. to work with, you just I mean, show you up ki- on set, you know? You kill off the two returning characters from three in your first scene, basically your first couple scenes or the first act, 
And it's like, those are the people that, you know, like any returning audience members have a connection with because they recognize and understand their story some. And then you mm-hmm. you get rid of them quickly. You've got a new actress playing um, Kristen. Kristen. Yeah, Kristen. Yeah, Tuesday so, night replacing Patricia Arquette. Yeah. And, and then you've got a bunch of actors that don't have any like real meat or, or dialogue to them, you know, that, that gives them any heft. It's, it's tough. So yeah, you've got to focus on the effects. I mean, because that's all you really have. Right. And I mean, I, I, I imagine that that's an artifact of the strike, right? Like they just didn't, you know, like have people there that could help develop. Yeah, it's, it's you know, look at Quantum of Solace. That That's another movie that's similar to this, that you're going, you're going to shoot this movie no matter what, and you're going to feel the repercussion if, if, you, if you choose to shoot it without that finished script or without a script at all. Right. So. Yeah, it is interesting to see how this was handled, though, by the actors. You could see the, maybe the more seasoned actors, because even though they didn't have a lot to work off of, some of them just fall so flat. Like they don't even know how to improvise in their scenes. Whereas somebody like Kincaid, like he doesn't have a lot of time on screen, but even within that, he's got a wider range of emotions and he's got a lot of personality and Mm -hmm. he's, you're already rooting for him. And I'm the very short amount of time he's on screen by his death. You're already kind of like bummed out about it. So you can tell he didn't have anything to work with too, but he just knew how to maybe find his character faster because he had already been in it. Well, and, right. That's what I was going to sh- say. You know, and that shows it's really, it's kind of, uh, it's interesting to see how he handled that. And it's probably one of the better characters in the whole film just because yeah. of that. He I mean, nothing, I think Joey, you know, I think Joey's the same, you yeah. know, like they're, they're the kind of the two best performances but I think to your point, like, I think that it's because they had the foundation of the third film yep. to build off so that even though the script might not be there, like the emotional arc of the, of what limited time they had on screen, they could, yeah. they could feed off where they came from in the third movie. Yeah. Whereas like these other actors, unfortunately just didn't have that with them, you know? But even with completed scripts, I wouldn't say that you know, these movies were spending a lot of time with getting the performances well, well done and, and characters fully thought out. Like I didn't miss yeah, a beat. If, I didn't miss a you, beat here. I yeah. feel like if you compare the third and fourth movie, you'd see a pretty big difference. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Three, if you, especially yeah. if you watch them close together, like you can, yeah, yeah. Y- you can feel that difference, but, but I mean, they're going to lean in that direction. I think regardless if the script was ready, like that was the choice they made was to, you know, go effects heavy because it continues with five and six, which did not have the writer's strike problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, but at that point, like they've also pivoted, right? Like yeah. now it's now it's Freddie's movie. Like we're focusing on Freddie. We don't care about the other character development as much because they're just really now pawns in our in our scheme to get Freddie to the next place to kill them so that we can have the set piece and the and the comedy and the highlight on on our hero you know who's Mm -hmm. you know yeah no doubt that four wouldn't have resulted without the success of threes over the top kills you know when you have a marionette by veins and you have a person being having their head shoved through the 
TV and stuff like those were so over the top that there's no way that the executives didn't say, well, we could keep trying to build an actual story and script, but it seems as though the general audience is loving these over the top kills. Let's, let's bring in the big guns and keep doing that and suffer the consequences otherwise, because that that's where they were banking that people wanted to see it. And honestly it did. I mean, it got them to part five. So, well, yeah, I think at the time, absolutely. Like, I think, I think I understand, you know, why the movies went in the direction they did. I mean, Freddie was a star for sure. As we've talked about, you know, I think, I think for me rewatching it now, made me grow to appreciate three more because I feel like individually without the context of what was happening at the time and how popular Freddie was like it as a movie has more staying power. Like it's like, it stands alone better. Like I think the first and third movies are just more complete as movies in general than, than the others. Uh, and two for different reasons, you know, but like, uh, because four through the rest rely so heavily on the context of how famous Freddie is as a, as a entity outside of the movies, you know? And so like, without that, like it, it just, it, for me, didn't, didn't play as well. And I remember it, you know, like I lived it, like I was obsessed with it, but like now being separated from it for as long as I have, like it was easier for me to step back and see, Kind of the pitfalls with that. Mm-hmm. It was really when Angelo Battlemente didn't keep scoring. That's that was the downfall. That was right? fair that enough. Was the beginning of the end. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack on this one is very interesting. Uh, I actually hey, love the soundtrack. Yeah, Craig Saffin. I'm a big Craig Saffin fan. I, the fact yeah. that the Fat Boys are on here at the at the end credits with the rap. I got another songs. show and tell for you guys. Oh, nice. This is like a gem of mine. It's the actual cassette soundtrack of Part Dude. Four. But there's wow. so many songs. There's so many songs that are not on the not soundtrack. On it. Yeah. Well, this are... isn't the well, this is the score. This is not yeah. the soundtrack. That's different. Yeah. This is this is Craig's piece. Yeah. And he did Fade to Black. I'm sure we were gonna get to it anyway, but you know, Fade to Black's one of my favorite films and from from the 1980. And um, so to see him attached to this too, that was pretty cool. That's you know, between three and four, the one thing they did right was uh they got some pretty cool composers, that's yeah. for sure. And he and he hit. I think at least once he hits that. You know the original cue yeah. from the first movie. You know in the beginning of this one he hits it. I can't remember if he comes back to it at the end, but um, that was nice to hear that kind of call back to the first movie. Yeah, I think you know all things considered, I'm sure he was really um, kind of handcuffed with what he could do as a score because it's MTV generation right now, and they're going to cram yeah. as many songs on that soundtrack as possible. So for him to be able to still work in any kind of sense of an original score was a win probably on his part because, yeah. you yeah, know, you, you got all these big names that they're trying to jam in there to make it, a you know, popular with the kids. I mean, you get Sinead O'Connor. What? Sinead yeah. O'Connor. He's on there. Yeah, there's all kinds of crazy names on there. Yeah. Tuesday Night, uh, one of our lead actors yeah. here. <laughs> singing. Some, that's a jam. Yeah, like, that's is. a good song. Billy Idol's on there. Like, yeah. There's a, there's a bunch. I mean, you had Doc in, on, in the third movie. So that was, uh, they set the bar pretty high there. Yeah. So they dug well, their what's, own grave. Well, what's interesting is they flooded the movie with all this music, but like the soundtrack that you could, you could get only has, I mean, it's like half. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, it was, 
It is not a complete soundtrack. No. Most of the songs that we just talked about are not on the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, let, let's go back to the story for a minute. So the movie starts with reintroducing our, our surviving characters from the third movie, which as we're seeing is, you know, kind of a trend in a lot of these 80s horror sequels. David, you being like the first time you're seeing this, hmm. how did it sit with you? What happens to those characters? And I'm talking about uh, Kristen and Joey and Kincaid specifically. Um, you know, I uh, I was kind of bummed for what happened, but you know, it took took 40 minutes for Kristen to be taken out. So you know, she had a whole she had a whole arc uh, for that f- whole first act. But I I was like, I would have loved to continue to see them be part of it, and then just add just adding to the cast and let you know maybe. It isn't like okay, we got to take out the whole previous cast as usual. Like maybe, maybe one of them would continue to survive, things like that. So, but it was it was nice to see those two back and like knowing like these three characters, you know, could have they could have been the the dream warriors, on and on and on. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. They just kind of I just I I this is the one thing I hate about these movies is like I don't know they have to kill the previous generation all right i mean but i guess it's better when they when they don't when they just ignore the previous like final girl or whatever and you just i'd rather have that i'd rather have just ignore the previous movie than just you it's like we talked about when we looked at alien 3 you spend a whole movie building these characters up and making them legitimate and you're you're in love with those characters by the end of the movie and the first thing you do in the next movie is kill them off like it, it completely cuts the legs out of those characters and you know, how can they, they defended them. So they figured out how to beat Freddie in the third movie. And here they are just immediately taken out and mm-hmm. just, it just doesn't, it's always bugged me about this one that it's cause he, it's not about, it's not about the characters. It's about Freddie. And if you don't let him kill off the characters, he doesn't stay scary. He doesn't stay yeah. you know, um, a question mark, you know? So if you were to just let these characters keep defeating him or get by with a pass and he's like, oh, I almost gotcha. Um, then he wouldn't stay unpredictable that that's because the star of the show is Freddie, which means sucks that you like that character, but guess what? Freddie's going to kill him regardless. Cause that's well, what Freddie does. So, I mean, yeah. it's kind of like they set that up to have to kill their characters off. Otherwise, th- he loses his potency. Do you think it would have been any different if Patricia Arquette had come back to to the Kristen character? Or do you think they still would have handled it the same way? I I, I don't think... Well, first of all, she was not going to come back. I mean, she, she was very worried about getting the horror stigma stuck on her as she's building her career. So there was no... Obviously, there was no way she was coming back. And if she did, I think that would have been... I, I don't think... She, I think she would have lived at least maybe they would have killed off Joey and Kincaid still, but I think you would have seen her still as the lead. I don't think she would have let herself get killed off early in the movie. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, she, she was, wasn't, I mean, she was kind of a big deal in 88 at that point, right? Like yeah. she was, she capitalized right away on, on dream warriors. So and yeah. she's been a huge star and an incredible actress ever since. So, right. um, yeah, I don't know. So I, I always had a hard time with that. But you're right, EK. Like, 
this is the first movie that Robert England is top billing. Mm -hmm. So it really is transition to his movie. And if it's going to be his movie, you've got to make him as strong as possible. But was there, maybe I missed it. Was there, how does Freddie actually come back? He's just sort dog, of dog fire urine. The dog, and the it's dog like pee. Yeah. Coolest. The, the, yeah. the dog named Jason. <laughs> named Jason. Right. I love this whole sequence. And, you know, that's, oh, it's great. It's so well done. It's got a Hellraiser vibe to it, you know, with the, the reanimation. It's gooey and it's creepy. And it's, there's moments you can tell this film is so lopsided because it starts pretty dark, like not only visually, but just the tone. And when he does come to life, it's a pretty creepy scene. And then when he first shakes off his hat and puts it on and he's walking around the the junkyard, that's yeah. like part two type of Freddy. Like mm-hmm. it's dark and creepy. I mean, he totally takes a twist, you know, right after that. But that whole opening sequence of him coming back to life is pretty iconic in my mind like it's yeah awesome I, oh yeah I, th- I think there's a couple spots in this movie that like the sequences hold up as some of the best in the entire franchise that's one of them um i think the whole sequence from basically when they're eating the soul pizza to when alice crashes the truck into the faux mm. freddy slash tree like that whole sequence i think is really freaking awesome because that includes like the time loop. The it time includes, loop is great. Time loops out of like the first movie. That's like a Wes Craven. Yeah. Know. It includes the cockroach, like um, the, the roach motel, like all that is in that little, like that chunk. And I think it's freaking phenomenal, man. After rewatching it, like, I'm just like really impressed because mm-hmm. I, I think that that holds up that and, and the reanimation, both of those scenes just hold up with anything else that we would have seen in any of the other movies yeah. you know yeah but but do they actually explain how freddy's coming back because when when it starts it's just they're just being pulled into their dreams somehow by like a weak version of freddy and then the dog pees on the bones and if you're pissed on from <laughs> dogfire any demon's going to come back <laughs> i think it's that he's gaining power by her pulling Joey and Kincaid and because it's really he's coming in through her dream slowly and Mm -hmm. she panics and calls calls in for support Mm -hmm. and I think the second now that you're giving him the power of three people having a nightmare yeah he can now start to reform I think that's kind of what I always gathered is yes I'm being very generous with my (laughs) interpretation but it does seem like he needed maybe a few people on board like Santa Claus for the sleigh to go in the air you know he needed a few more people on his side and (laughs) once all three of the original cast were like oh man he's he is coming back now he can fully form so Kristen just fucks over everybody absolutely and he knows it that's what Kincaid says he's like You, you know, leave me alone. That's your problem, man. Yeah. Yeah. If and, she, then, and then she, she, oh, go ahead, David. Well, like, so yeah, like, so it's like if she didn't ever, if she died at some point before this happened, her power wouldn't be with anybody. It's like her power is the thing that brings him back, right? Like, I, it's her fault. And then, and then she kept, kept doing it and then brings in the boys and technically brings in the dog because the dog bites her in the dream yep. <laughs> and, and yeah. then wakes up with blood in his mouth. 
and she brings love. and she brings in Alice. Alice. Like she screws yeah. everybody. She, well, then she, that was it. She well, that's the thing. She if if she decided to die with Freddie, she could have, but she decided, but she brought in Alice and then gave her her power and like, forces like, her power through some kind of light blast <laughs> through <laughs> Freddie. Yeah, yeah, through Freddie and into Alice. Like I didn't know that was a thing that you could. Pass you need my power. And just... is that the thing that triggers Alice's ability to pull everybody else's power at that point? Yeah, like when, so. when yeah. they when he kills them, like she's able to basically yeah. ingest their powers because yeah. of whatever happened in that in that scene. Okay. Yeah. 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 She's like the Voltron of the Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> franchise. You know, outside in the parking lot every morning here at Recon Cinema Studios, David and I have a catch with our powers. Oh, same nice. way you we juggle just, them yep we <laughs> like have our power gloves and we toss them back and forth absolutely <laughs> um so how do we how do we feel about tuesday night as the patricia arquette replacement passable for you guys or was it because i mean i don't know maybe just because i've seen I, I love patricia arquette and i've seen her so many times that to me that was like I could feel the loss of that actress. Uh, yeah, I think Patricia Arquette's a better actress, but I think that Tuesday Night does a fine job with the character in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's fine. I yeah. and she gave us our opening track. So, oh yeah, yeah. I for, yep, points yeah. for that. Yeah, her that's her key contribution. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, I don't know. There's rumors that there was a relationship between Rennie Harlan and and Tuesday Night, and maybe Tuesday was not the most popular person on set because of that no. I, read, I, I read that too yeah yeah haters gonna hate yeah i wasn't there i can't i can't vouch for it i was only nine at the time so um, <laughs> it's not an excuse there's <laughs> definitely nine-year-olds in this movie right i was i was a reporter outside of the set with my <laughs> with hat. with your own fedora with a little yeah, press my, card in the my notepad pencil but it, but it was your dad's hat and jacket so it was really big <laughs> yeah. you look like a little rascal out there you look like someone from the cast of bugsy yeah yeah um all right and then we get our new care our new characters our new actors here lisa wilcox who plays alice um i think she did you know watching it this time in the beginning of the movie when we first see alice and she's so timid and and reserved and um you know, really, I think no makeup at all on, which is fine. But, but uh, I was like, what is going on with this character? Like, it's over the top kind of weak that like, I get it. I get that you're I get that you're playing weak. But then by the end, I think it all worked that when she becomes like the the empowered version of Alice, right. super powered, it all it all kind of ties in and made sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you cut some bangs and you put on a spike wristband. Oh, yeah. You get your bug machine and yeah. you're good to go. Man, <laughs> it's a party your time. Bug, your bug zapper. Yeah. Yeah. Where did that I, come from? Did I, I may have missed that, too. That was from Sheila? Lisa. Yeah, that or, came from Sheila. Yeah. I think Sheila. Was, yeah. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. The the smart one. Yeah. Who has asthma. The asthma. Yeah, I, I actually a... like Alice's arc because there's not there's nobody else that really gets anything like that. Yeah. And, she's the and, only one. Yeah. And she does do a good job of being very meek and quiet and innocent and kind of naive. And then by the end, it's like, she's fed up because literally everybody has been killed. So she's got nothing to lose. Um, that's kind of a fun little 
little thing. And and I think as a kid watching this, I actually was drawn to that. I liked the idea of being able to like absorb your friend's powers and maybe take on some of their qualities that you didn't have confidence in yourself. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, I got this friend who's really cool at Kung Fu. So I want to learn Kung Fu. And it's a very basic idea, but at the same time, if this is being marketed more towards a younger audience, um, yeah. you know, this is, this has got a good formula that works for younger viewers is, is, you yeah. know, believe in yourself and surround yourself with cool friends. And even if they're brutally killed, maybe you learn something from them. Yeah. It definitely checks a box that, that whole like idea, uh, you know, as a kid, for sure. The, some of the other actors that we see here too, Andrus Jones, who plays Rick, who I'm a big fan of for, for two reasons. The other two places I've seen him. Number one was uh, Good Morning, Miss Bliss, which is the season one of Saved by the Bell. He's got a, he's got a big episode in, in there. But, um, and he uh, is also in a video game, a famous video game called Night Trap, which oh. I'm a huge fan of. That was the sega cd game that came out and came out on sega cd in 92 they actually filmed all the footage in like 87 88 uh and it was going to be a movie but then um it became a video game and was the one that was like that along with mortal Kombat, was banned and there was the you know court cases over violence in video games and we talked about that in our mortal Kombat episode also with ek mm -hmm. uh so andrus jones was in night trap and was I I just played that game recently and I still love it. I mean it's cheesy as hell, but it's a it's a very fun game. There I don't was think a, I ever played that one oh, at the, the end of the the poll that was given on what the our fans outside the you know Friday what I mean what nightmare they liked best. Um, you know they they asked what they thought of the Mortal Kombat episode we did. They said flawless victory. <laughs> <laughs> flawless victory. <laughs> Nice. Oh my god damn it. I love these fans. We gotta have them. We, we gotta pull very them supportive. More often. Yeah, they really do <laughs> like the show. Um, all right. So Andrus Jones is Rick. We get Brooke Thies, who was uh most of us would know from just the ten of us, also co-starring Heather Langenkamp, who played Nancy in one and three and seven. I can't mm -hmm. believe there was two of the ten were in nightmare <laughs> movies. Yeah. Do you think they talked about it on the set? They were like, oh, you were in Nightmare. I was in Nightmare. Let's be Nightmare Buddies. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I think I think sure just the happened. 10 of us is a dream from their characters. <laughs> <in Nightmare>. <laughs> <laughs> it's the just the 10 of us are going to be killed by Freddy. <laughs> That's the full title. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dan Hassel as Dan <laughs> and uh, Toy Newkirk <laughs> as the asthma riddled Sheila. Sheila. Uh, poor Sheila. Poor Sheila. My God. Poor so, Sheila, uh, tiny asthmatic nerd, just gets it. Just yeah. like, fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you invented this, this device rough. that'll kill Freddy. Somehow taking this like this mechanical device into a dream can, t can kill Freddy. Uh, so, I mean, at least that's there, that's there. But boy, like. She just got a little bit of sympathy from Brooke Thies' character, and then, 
and then like is sexually assaulted and murdered in yes. the yeah <laughs> like there's like there's so many things in, in this movie that stood out to me this time that like normally the tradition in horror movies right is like the teens do drugs they they have sex they do you know the scream rules that get laid out that yeah. are going to guarantee you're going to be murdered for doing those things these kids don't do any of those things they're generally good people they seem like you know yeah. like they're not doing anything wrong and they get fucked like they get yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. they got pulled Freddy, into a damn dream you know Freddy does get, their fault yeah, yeah he gives no shits he's like i don't care good bad and different you're going you're, i'm taking your soul it's brutal like and i think you know kudos to the actors for selling their deaths so well but like when sheila dies like that's kind of just heartbreaking. That's just sad. That, yeah. like it's such th- a good kill too. It's it is. So it really is a cool. great it is kill. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I got to suck face, you know. It's like <laughs> it's crazy. It stands out. You just I mean it's so well done, you know. It does. It's just it was yeah. it just I, I don't want to say it bothered me, but it just stood out to me this time that like yeah, these these kids like actually didn't they don't really deserve any of this at all. No, and she's such a great character. I really like her a lot. She was one of my favorites in this. Even when I was a kid, I just thought she was yeah. she was fun because it, it she wasn't trying so hard. She just kind of was getting through high school like yeah. everybody else. And and yeah, I found her death, you know, the very first time I saw it all the way until every time I see it, just it's kind of pretty brutal, honestly. You know, and and Freddie just does not care. Like he there's there's no rhyme or reason. Everybody's fair game. And that's yeah. That does keep him, even though he's being cheesier and cheesier, still does keep him unpredictably creepy because mm-hmm. he'll do anything. He's not given anybody an out at all. Yeah. You know. Uh, and obviously, uh, Debbie's death, um, w- you know, which is set up with the bug, the, mm-hmm. the fear of bugs earlier in the movie that, I mean, uh, you know, and her workout obsession that like that that like the bending the arms back and oh, yeah amazing brutal. That's yeah. brutal is this screaming mad george did he do that whole sequence because i know he was involved and i feel yeah, like I think this he was did. His, yeah it's got yeah. his signature on it in my opinion so i i just didn't know if this was what he actually did or not but i felt yeah like i think did. other than the i think other than the pizza scene most of that is screaming mad george yeah and, and i think steve johnson steve johnson yeah, yeah. did the whole okay. ending yeah it's uh, kind with of the, a, with, the, with the arms, yes, yeah, yeah. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. really awesome. Yeah. And uh, so Debbie, you know, is is turned into a a fly. Like she's caught in like the fly trap, right? And the goo from the fly trap, uh, like a roach her, trap, a roach trap, yeah. not fly trap, roach trap. The goo from that turns her into. Well, it tears it tears her skin. Tears her, yeah. yeah, pulls her off, face and off. underneath underneath her skin, she is a yeah giant. So Freddy dusting creature cockroach. Awesome! It's so great. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so great good. Like yeah, she rips her own face off to become a bug. I mean, that's yeah. yeah. It's like the hardcore. fly, you know. It's it's yeah. got that vibe, that Cronenberg vibe, you know. Yeah. So it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's really great. I mean, again, like like I said, like this part and the bookends to this are. I think some of the greatest. Yeah. And I mean, oh, go ahead, it, David. 
Well, and it's interesting because, like, so yeah, like at least the at least these deaths make sense in context for what little they've established for the character. So yeah, like she doesn't like bugs and she likes to be tough, and then it was turned into bug, and then it's crushed easily, and yeah. then with a like, lot of she, goo, a lot of she, goo coming, a lot out of goo, yeah. so much goo. Sheila can't breathe; she's asthmatic, and then of course it gets the air sucked out of her. But and it was like even Joe, uh, Joey or whatever, like dreams about hot girls and then it's just drowned in his waterbed that's kind of related but yeah. Kincaid just gets screwed like he just like he he, he gets just stabbed. stabbed yeah like he has a he has a fight with him it's a pretty good fight uh more or less i guess i don't know and then he just stabs and then he just has a heart attack and dies in real life and it's like Kincaid gets the short shrift on this yep. <laughs> like, but yeah i think that death is supposed to be more emotional than than kind yeah. of the the others, you know, because like I think Kincaid oh, from true. the third movie yeah. is like, you know, like sentimentally a kind of a, you know, he's the heart a little bit, yep. right? And so yeah. like when you see him die here, like you don't over embellish it, but you you mm. prove a pretty serious point when he it's goes that so way. Awesome, because he looks up and he yells, "Freddy's back!" and then it does this incredible miniature pullback. Yeah. yeah. That set piece, because you know how I am. I'm like, I die hard about miniatures, but yep. if you've seen the makings of and stuff, like it's what great. A, what a brilliant little piece right there. And that was completely unnecessary. Like they did not have to do that shot. No. Yeah. But the it fact that they great. did it was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is there like a little doc on that set on that yeah. piece? It's yeah, yeah. They talk about the making of it and stuff. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can find that. That looks. Cool. I mean, I remember that from the MTV. I think it was an MTV thing. I don't. I, I, again, I'm pretty I'm not sure it was. Sure, but I remember them talking about that during that uh, special effects special. Yeah, they released a whole VHS separate of Part Four that was the making of Part Four. Um, oh wow! With yeah, Elm Street, the nightmares, or something like that, and it's it's a separate tape that was just the making and special effects and behind the scenes. And it's really cool to yeah. see because they are at their height and they're surrounding themselves with at the time by 87, 88, the, the best talent available, mm -hmm. you know, minus Tom Savini or something, but mm -hmm. most of them are under studies of them anyway. So right. you're getting like the best of the best for special effects and miniature designs and all that. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. This is, that's the thing. This is a visually impressive movie, like focusing on, on, freddie freddie's look and get you know giving him the kills that work i mean it's like there's a lot of that time and effort and like it this this is no this is a 90 minute movie it's like oh, it's all the others it's quick and all of that but yeah it's uh the the sacrifice of the characters definitely gave way to like really impressive visuals and really just the the entry into the mainstream of this movie is just so well done you know to make him pop culturally attractive to 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 more people yeah um, just shines through like every decision on this and it's, which is wild because it's it's more it's more marketing and like you know i don't know what like focus grouping it to death almost like to the stuff that works yeah uh speaking of the deaths uh one that one one of one of the ones that I found lackluster and disappointing though was Rick's death, who I, was I also gonna, who I, I also gonna... think is a really cool character who like you root for. He's like a nice guy, he cares, he's supportive. 
And well, and the most visually impressive thing in the movie is the ninja workout scene. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Right. I mean, <laughs> I can't believe we haven't talked about it more, but, but it is kind of, it's, it, it like, it, it feels like a kind of throwaway death for that character when, and I guess, you know, back to the point that Freddie is the star, he's not even in it. So yeah. that's yeah. maybe, well, maybe that's why they're, yeah, that's, there is a reason. Point. So the, they really went, they started to go overboard and over budget on the effect sequences mm -hmm. and they Makes went sense. so far over on the Debbie bug death scene that they had to cut something. And what they cut was Rick's death. Cause it was supposed to be, I believe it was supposed to be like some kind of elevator sequence that yeah, he's stuck in an that. elevator and you know freddy's messing with him and they didn't Which have the starts money for that it. way you know he, they, yeah. he, he's in the elevator they just don't finish it that way right yeah yeah so yeah. they kind when of I, came up with something quick and easy that robert england's not even in it yeah what i read is that they blew basically the entire special effects budget on the roach motel effect wow yeah well, look mm -hmm. who you're bringing in to do it. You know, that's why is yeah, you're, yeah. you're bringing in the big guns. You're going to have to pay for them. And, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, it, but I will say about his character being a kid, you know, being being a young kid and seeing him, I was aware that he was kind of the, the Christian Slater, oh, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> version, which we're going to see a lot of those come up and around these years. But um I 100% put a headband on, you know, and worked out because I thought that that's what you're supposed to do. He looked cool doing it. I'm going to do it. So right there with you. Oh, did, you know. did, did you listen to anything, anything? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a jam too. Yeah. But, great song. Um, you know, he just, he did a good job and he did yeah. what he could. And I feel bad that he honestly of the characters, I felt like he did a good job with his character mm -hmm. and to have to go out with swinging at the air yeah, um, and having a pretend fight, it it kind of kind of sucks because he deserved, in my opinion, he deserved a little bit better because he did a good job acting in that whole film. I always, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I remember just like the first time I watched it, expecting him to be there till the end. You know, he yeah, was yeah, guys, like he like be... with his sister, like tag team. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But she represents. She's got that headband, and I think she's got it on her wrist. She's all nunchucked out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so the relationship here is. Kristen from the third film is dating Rick, who is yep. a sibling to Alice, who is who takes the handoff as our new hero character. Yeah. And she's in love with the this jock named Dan, um, who that's pretty much his character. He's a, a jock named Dan. He's just a jock. <laughs> yeah. He and, is. But and what, what oh go ahead, David. Sorry. Oh, and like what's all the all of the teens are likable. None of them is like kind of like right. the villain of the group. Like none of them's yeah. like kind of like kind of gross which is a little weird right shouldn't we have like kind of a gross character but i mean yeah it's... like even the jock is a nice guy like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, totally yeah. he doesn't give anybody a wedgie yeah no. he, he's not a bully alice likes him and he like pretty much goes for her right away yeah know? yeah and he like, believes her he like joins in with her quickly to uh on the whole escapade but uh <laughs> So it, it's sort of a nice change of formula, I think. I mean, there's the only mean teen is like a random bullying thing that, you know, and Brooke Thies like 
tells him off and then that's it like that kid you'd almost expect that guy to die somewhere but he's not connected to the story so it doesn't matter but yeah. uh yeah but there's no everyone's just like a likable group like we're all friends <laughs> like this is we're oh, we're fun uh you know fun teens <laughs> that reminds me of something i caught uh that just really cracked me up watching this so in the scene where we i think it's where we meet um Debbie and Sheila, like outside the school in the parking lot when Debbie has that moment with the, the bug and everything. Mm-hmm. When you if you watch that scene, there's the same extra is on both sides of the scene. Uh-huh. It's this blonde guy with sunglasses with a blue plaid shirt that <laughs> he's like, you know, 10 feet in front of them, but also about 20 feet behind them on like a bike. <laughs> once i saw i rewound it like five times i'm like oh yeah that's the same whoever was running the the background that uh, on that scene was they, they should be know, fired there was a they had a problem so i'm i'm looking up for the second ad right now yeah exactly. uh, uh <laughs> that's gonna be your connection that's gonna be your six degrees <laughs> exactly oh shit he was on dreams <laughs> I, oh, I, already, were twins. I, got, I got dreamscape figured out about a half hour ago so uh i think that i think those two characters were twins though i think that they just wore the same outfit oh, maybe yep. yeah that's that's my that's my mind canon for okay it. all right you can't, i can't that. prove it but there's, um there's no way it. they would have messed up that bad <laughs> yeah they had the budget to hire twins so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they didn't use them in the same shot it was really it was just a reckless kind of uh so do we do we believe Alice being our new lead? Do we believe in the world of this story, her journey that she's taking over and she's become this kick-ass um, you know, character who's basically takes out Freddy? Yes. I mean, with the absorption of the powers of her friends? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. For yeah. sure. I'm I'm She in. sells it. She's a badass by the end. I think I think she, and it, and I and I believe it. Yeah, the gearing up scene. I'm all about the gearing up scene. Oh Ram- yeah, Rambo, Rambo, Commando, shit, Cobra. Oh yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Never, there's never a wrong time for a gearing up montage. Yeah, if you do that in a movie, you've pretty much got me, regardless of what else. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Totally. I I I didn't know if that's what we were getting, but like when she first got. Because again, I've never seen it before, right? So the first time I'm watching it, and it's like I forget what the very first shot is, but the second shot is her just buttoning up her, you know, her blouse a little bit, and I'm like, wait, are they getting her? Is she gonna be Rambo? And then like, then it's like she had like her leather, her suede leather shoes, and she's tying them, yeah. and I'm like, so it's the like spike it, bracelet like, on, and then the spike bracelet and the jacket. I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. So I, I, I definitely like that. There's like, there's like, there's a lot of stuff here that doesn't seem like winking or tongue in cheek. Like they, there's just, I like the quality, I think of everyone involved in this. Like, it's not, it doesn't seem like it was rushed. I feel like maybe the actors even got rehearsal time, you know, even if the, and like, cause they had, they had no script, so they had to sort of figure it out together. But Mm -hmm. so that at least they seem more comfortable. Like everything about this screams like, competent or above performances throughout like things are like expertly shot like seem to be thought out like like it doesn't seem like sort of haphazard and run and gun like you know a smaller budgeted version of this Mm -hmm. like again the prosthetics the lighting everything's a show 
for a guy like me that this this works right it's no surprise that okay i'm glomming onto this because i i do like the shiny things right i like big and loud and and clean and all that so it, it's a like okay i this is where i'm on board now and i i'm still like i cannot get over it as i as we keep touching on all these points i'm like yeah this is just higher quality version of everything we've been seeing it's just it's everything's sweetened everything seems mm-hmm. better you know quality wise from top to bottom um so and then and then we haven't even talked about freddie's death which let's oh. where i think we're there well, are we there let me let me interject real quick if you don't mind uh, on that yeah. Rambo scene because there is something that I think deserves a little bit of credit is I know it's really on the nose but what I like is the whole um, pictures on the mirror and mm-hmm. when the film first starts she's really meek and she's really insecure and her brother says you know kind of is again it's defeating the purpose of having a mirror if you're going to cover everything and she says well you know whatever and shrugs it off and by the end you know, it's very cliche, but she's pulling all the pictures off the mirror and revealing herself in the mirror. And she's looking at herself and she's being empowered. And yes, of course, that's like not a deep thought. But at the same time, I think it's really cool and it's really relatable. And why this sticks out is at this time, I had two older sisters and one of my sisters who was pretty insecure growing up had p- photos all over the mirror, kind of covering as much as possible So this was kind of rooted in a trend of the time Mm -hmm. and really was believable that her character arc was changing and we were seeing it in real time as she's like putting on spikes, she's removing parts of the mirror, you know, covering what she could see. And I don't know, for me, that could have been a throwaway or not even being noticed, but I think kudos to not having a script and still pulling off a little bit of depth in that scene beyond the fun Rambo mm-hmm. arming up. There's more happening in that scene. And I, I think they pulled it off really well and yeah, sincere. No. I don't think it was cheesy. I don't think it was dummy down. I just think it was her really becoming the character ready to fight Freddie. It was cool. Yeah, I, I agree. Like It seems like stuff like a lot of this stuff could be really cheesy, but somehow it's, it, however it's done this way, again, it's a, higher quality version of it you can just sort of buy into it i think you just you keep buying into a lot of the emotion like that's the thing about having all likable characters being like putting up with conflict like the parents aren't quite so evil but they're just enough like yeah uh, yeah they're pretty i mean (laughs) alice's and rick's dad are um you know like an alcoholic here um we will we will see that character again but uh and, shout out and, to shout out to Brooke Bundy who plays yeah, I was uh, Kristen say. Kristen's mom in yep. both three and four yeah uh, who ends up another sad thing that she basically ended up killing Kristen by is she the one that yeah. drives by and is like underlay underlay yeah yeah, yeah but, I love yeah. that scene that cracks she's, me up she's so yeah. good at that over the top you know because she yeah. does it in the third movie too that yeah that it's really a lot it's, but it is she's great. Um, yeah. Real quick, real quick, before we get into deeper things, something I noticed this time around that I hadn't noticed before is the name of the the diner is called the the Crave Inn. I don't oh, know if you guys. Oh, yeah. oh I, I, I didn't actually pick one. That's awesome. Yeah, but it's what I don't understand is the N is I N N, as if like it's a it's like a place you could stay as well, not just Maybe. eat, but but you could you could rent a room. 
And I'm like, there's no rooms here. <laughs> like, why is, Why did they decide to go that deep with they, that? They couldn't afford it? that part of the set. Uh, yeah, guess not. Because once you go in, you're in a time loop and you can't get out. Exactly. That's true. There you go. Maybe that's it. That time loop. Let, let's just talk about that one more time. Like that. That. Uh, it's cool, isn't it? It's really <laughs> it's cool. Really yeah. cool. Yeah. I'm that, telling you, I dude, those that scene for the that little sequence right there is freaking yeah, pretty rad. Like, and that's like going back to the original version of Freddy and how the psychological games that he would play. Like, mm-hmm. that's something that does feel very dreamlike. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You know that like I've had that dream. Absolutely. <laughs> we all have. Um, yeah, and he's just he's just messing with them. It's yeah. great, you know. Yeah. Now, like you 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 know, you run up to the car, you get in the car, you drive, then you you run out and you run right back in the same spot again. Like it was really cool. And the other kills, even when people are dreaming, it doesn't have that dreamlike feel, you know, yeah. or it, it just doesn't that sense isn't there. Whereas that one sequence, that's that nails it. All right. So Freddy's death and the mechanics of it. I got a little lost on the mechanics of it, but um, who who could walk through that that whole sequence? I think the flimsiest part of it is the if he sees himself, they can get him thing like that. I'm like, uh, I don't know that you need that. Just blast him with the bug zapper. Have that do a thing like. So I don't understand that part. She recites the poem, the dream master poem that she always heard as a kid. And if she gets him to look in the mirror at himself, then that'll take care of him. Yeah, none of it matters. All that's cool is that he's got arms (laughs) popping out of his head. That's the cool part. Because that shit is awesome. That's all that matters. Yeah, that was really amazing. And the soul, like even the. Shout out to Steve Johnson, man. That is that is his bread and butter right there. You know, if you don't know. I mean, obviously he became a huge name, but this was his break. This was his, you know, he did Night of the Demons was really where he showed what he could do. It's also where he met Linnea Quigley. They got married and she's the one that's pushing her, her boobs through the, uh, you know, Freddie, the, yeah. the, the little cameo right yep. there. That's his wife. But, um, and she's, she's you know, classic she's a legend. Scream. She's yeah. She's the scream queen. And, um, but he he really stepped up on this whole scene and it's so much fun to watch you know like it never gets old when you watch this death you can shake your head and laugh at the ridiculousness of the poem and the mirror and all that but man when those little arms are coming out and stuff it's so weird it's so surreal and it's so dreamlike you know it's just it's awesome unforgettable for sure well it's executed so well too and i mean i i remember Again, just going back to that documentary about the special effects, like I remember that part when they're t- talking about this and talking about like the latex torso that they're having all the people press their bodies into and and all that. Like yeah. this is one of those parts of 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 this movie that really stick out to me as well. It's great. Yeah, the whole team. There's just so many people involved in this that went on to do big things too. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell. This is where all the talent, you know, one of the names that I came across, which I, I had no clue. Um, Adam Jones was on this as an effects artist too. And Adam Jones would become very, I mean, world famous for being the guitarist of the band tool, but he, oh he got his start oh. as an effects artist. He was on Terminator two. 
he did a bunch of stuff and um i think escape from la and then you know he's he obviously went on to much bigger and better things with being a rock star but he was involved in this and it's just fun to see like all these guys you know um steve johnson had did you know big trouble in little china also like they're just yeah. what a fun group and i feel like it comes through in that whole scene you can tell they are like you're gonna give us this budget we're gonna give you total crazy and yeah. imagine being on set and seeing that in real time it must have been the wackiest wildest thing that that you could have seen at that time yeah they're like fuck it who needs a script this shit is awesome <laughs> yeah, this is wild this is like crazy and it's like yeah. clive barker before clive barker you know it's just it's crazy yeah yeah that adam jones thing is pretty cool i didn't realize that and you know now it it brings into context that claymation stuff that tool yeah that's where he got his start to do. He did, yeah he used to do special effects on movies and then kind of walked away from hollywood to become a rock star but yeah, yeah that's why he did all their videos early on but yeah he was involved too i was like man everybody had a hand in this it was crazy yeah that's awesome so the the souls are pulling Freddy <laughs> to hell, right? They're tearing him they? apart. Yeah. They're pulling him the, apart. Yeah, and so they, right, they're great. they're like trapped. They're trapped in him. They're trapped. They're yes. trying to they're trying to break free and tear him apart. Oh, and tear apart. That's and great. They sure do. When they the tear exit, his... the exit cracks me up. Them like drifting through the through the skylight or whatever. Man, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, so funny. Oh, but it's also like whatever you know we're all hugging and we're all going to celebrate and high five yeah so why not let the souls escape too and there's no and there's no tease at the end yeah you know there's like it's just a straight ending that it's like mm. we got our happy ending and freddie's dead well i mean he gives she it, the ending implies that she's got um some serious psychological issues now and needs to get therapy because sure. she throws yeah shows the coin in and sees his reflection. So yeah. she's got some PTSD now, but otherwise natural. Yeah. Nobody, yeah. nobody turns around. It's not like Freddie riding a bike with, you know, the outfit on of the twins. So, you know, we're good. Yeah. yeah. I, I um, actually watched the, all the credits anyway. Like I, I watched the credits anyway, but then I'm like, Oh, maybe there's a scene at the end. And I'm like, wait, they, they didn't do after credits. I was hoping for it. No, also, but you get a banger of a song with Sinead O'Connor doing yeah, that, yeah. handsome. That's Which, and that song was super expensive for them. So, and Bob Shea fought against it and finally relented. But, uh, you know, that, and that's why I think they use it twice in the movie. Because like, yeah, it's great. You know, we're paying for it. We're going to use yeah, it. You know? Great song. Yeah. Um, because she was already, you know, skyrocketing at the time that this is getting made. So, yeah, for sure. Um. All right, cool. Well, I think maybe it's time now we should talk about how it did at the box office with box office glory. <laughs> That's the new song. <laughs> is, that a, is that a trumpet? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a couple of different numbers actually for the budget for the budget of this movie. I, I always heard it was six point five, but then I read elsewhere that it, it had blew up to thirteen. Mm -hmm, that's that. um, yeah, that's like double. So I, that's I don't more know. believable to be honest. Yeah, that's probably true. So all right, somewhere between six point five and thirteen million. Uh, it is uh, released August nineteenth, nineteen eighty eight. 
going up against Married to the Mob. Oh, yeah. oh boy. Haven't thought about that movie <laughs> ever. Until no, right now. Nobody has. <laughs> and it opened up at number one. Hey. hey. Yeah. Woo. Right, right ahead of Young Guns in week number two and Die Hard, which was in its sixth week. Uh, it has a $12.8 million opening weekend. That's pretty pretty good. And then a $49 million domestic run. It was Damn, the uh, Die Hard, huh? So wait, so Rennie, did he jump on to part two? Yeah, he did yeah. Die Hard too. Yep. Yeah, yep. boy. I think that's the next movie he does after this. And then he does Ford Fairlane. Dang. Win win, buddy. Okay. Anyway, yeah. sorry. I just um, was putting that together. Yeah. <laughs> the Die Hard connection. Yeah, right. Six degrees of Die Hard. <laughs> uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 was number 19 of 1988, uh, box office-wise, right between Oliver and Company and The Land Before Time, which, honestly, oh, guys, the, wow. that's the perfect way to watch these movies, you know? That's the perfect <laughs> that triumvirate. Uh, <laughs> perfect Land Before pairing. Time's good, man. It's a good Oh, film. yeah. It is. Uh, let's see. And uh, Rain Man, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Coming to America were the top three of 1988. Oof. Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master is, box office-wise, is the number three ranking film in the Nightmare franchise, if you include the remake. So uh, the, re- the going in order, remake made the most money in, what was that, 2010, I think, and then... Oof. Freddy really? versus yeah I I mean that was it made the most money or it had the biggest box office uh biggest box office sorry yes yeah it's, that's it's... not a comparison to the budget but just box okay. office so okay yeah uh then Freddy versus Jason and then Nightmare on Elm Street four followed by the third film so oh um, interesting believe it or Man, not New seven is, the, is all the way at the bottom seven's the last on that list yeah wow. Man, people did not respond well to that movie. I guess. They no, weren't ready I think for it, man. They, they needed, weren't. They didn't. They get had it. to get Scream first, and then they could go back and revisit and go, "Oh, damn!" Yep. I mean, he I'm was not already doing this, you know. Yeah, I mean that's true. I even remember when I saw it, I was like, "I don't really get it," but man, he was ahead time, of his time. Yeah, yeah with yeah, time, definitely. it's it's really it's aged well. Yeah. So this movie does very, very well, a big hit on their hands, just completely, you know, mission accomplished that they uh, are capitalizing on everything Freddy and it's all working. He's going to continue another year's worth of publicity and appearances and Freddy's Nightmares, I think, went two seasons. Um, So, you know, and we didn't really talk about him, believe it or not, but Robert England uh, is his usual fantastic self as oh, Freddy. I mean, he was yeah. born to play that character. I he mean, we talk about, he Oh, he's dude. So he's great. Funny. He's like in the making of in full Freddy makeup, but really intellectual about having a conversation <laughs> about Wes Craven <laughs> and his impressions of him and blah, blah, blah. But, and you know, he's got the whole demeanor. Like he's, He's having a philosophical conversation, but the whole time he's in Freddy makeup. It's hilarious. <laughs> the guy is so funny. In that documentary, does he talk about going out to dinner in the Freddy makeup? Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I didn't rewatch. I 
I had seen it a few times and sometimes yeah. I'll rewatch it, but I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't have time to rewatch the the making of again prior to this. I would have liked to, because it is very enjoyable. Oh, I it's... think it's on, you know, YouTube. It's on all the DVDs. Pretty easy to find. Yeah. It's it's about a 45 minute watch, but it's, it's fun. It's cool. Great time capsule of just them being at the peak of a franchise, you know? Yeah. So what do you guys think for a modern audience? And David, we're going to put you in that category. So someone coming to this for the first time, how do you think they're going to feel about Dream Master? You think they're going to they're going to be into it or is it maybe not going to hold up for them? Have they seen the other movies? Let's say they've seen just one, two and three so far. So they're watching them in order. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this would be this is this is cool. This is fine. You know, it's 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 they're all kind of the same, but you know, they're, they're, they're putting a polish in, in different spots in this one. So it's a, it's, you know, if you like the other ones, uh, there's no reason not to like this one. This one's, this one's elevates it. I think. You uh, think that know. still works like, like I think it did a, in 88. You think it achieves the same thing now? I mean, why not? I don't know. It's all the same to me. <laughs> I mean, it's hard because those of us that have seen it so many times, like yeah. we're going to, like we were talking about, like, we can be critical from a different angle because we know it so well. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, it. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. That's the thing. This is what I'm confounded by because it's almost. Uh, I enjoy this one the most, but but also so of the two of the other people on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, and you guys are like all sorts of shit I don't like. So it's like, <laughs> you know, we're in the same boat on this one. Yeah, <laughs> but as a, I don't know, coming to all this from the, from you know, if no one had seen it growing up or whatever, or uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if people would be still clamoring for more. I, I don't know. Maybe they like, maybe they would like this Freddy, you know, it's really hard because contextually, because of how pop culturally mm-hmm. relevant he was for, you know, for, for a, a few years there. Yeah. And then he just sort of like, and he's like Spuds McKenzie or, you know, the, the Budweiser frogs. Like, yeah. <laughs> this, you know, yeah. Max Hedrum. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Coke, uh, the bear, the Coca-Cola bear. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I, I it's, uh, I don't know. I don't, I probably wouldn't recommend this to anybody for for any reason, but well, I I liked it. You know what I mean? I that's know. that's what I think. Without the context of him being so ingrained in pop culture, I don't know if they get the comedic lighter version of Freddy. I don't know if a modern audience would go for it as much as the yeah. you know first film. And plus, the lines aren't that good. they're not that good. Like they're okay. But they were riffing on set or whatever. Like the his one liners aren't they're not that funny. They're not that good. <laughs> they were we in the, they were in eighty eight. No, no, yeah. of course. But but you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, I mean maybe. Maybe. I don't <laughs> million know. Million dollar pun. For a for a ten year old, they were they were golden. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. I just feel like, oh, if like that's the thing, he's supposed to be his equipment. He's got like maybe two that I think really work and then mm-hmm. the rest are the rest should be a little more clever, I think. I don't know. I think people who love '80s nostalgia might love this movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's that's but the they wheelhouse would, they would for also, the modern audience. They would also know that Freddy, the context of Freddy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think it has to be part of it for these later movies or mid and later movies. Yeah. 
It's gonna be real think... interesting when we when we get to uh, Freddy's Dead, the sixth movie. Well, yeah. what's great about that is seven is right after it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. So, perfect. Which I'm excited. About. Yeah, I'm I'm about. I'm legitimately excited about seven because I haven't seen that one in a really long time, um, and I did like it then, and uh, so I'm I'm interested to see how it is now. Yeah, but we got All a little right. bit. So uh, not uh, when we do year of October. Yep. Then we'll get to it real quick. But for now, we're going to have to wait. Um, and is it time? Should we come back to six degrees of reconsideration? Are we are we ready? Has anyone been able to come up with a link? Apparent. Apparently, you came up with one an hour and yeah. a half before I even said. <laughs> yeah. <dreams>. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hoity toity pants over there. Before before I go, David or EK, do you guys have any uh, connections to Dreamscape? I no, I was hoping I could, but I, I, I didn't even try. Okay, I, just, well, you... I was more excited to see what you guys came up with. <laughs> she whiz. Uh, so well, I figured something out. I figured a path. Yeah. So Rennie Harlan directed Deep Blue Sea. Mm -hmm. Deep Blue Sea has. LL Cool J in it. LL Cool J was in Any Given Sunday with Dennis Quaid, who was in Dreamscape. I yeah. love that, dude. That is I great. Love that. Wow, that's a good that one. That tracks, dude. I that, love it. That works. I, I, I did come up with a different path, um, but I think I like yours better. Uh, I'm going to go Robert England to Johnny Depp, Nightmare on Elm Street 1. Johnny Depp to Michael Madsen. Donnie Brasco, Michael Madsen to Dennis Quaid, Wyatt Earp. Oh, that, that's fucking great. <laughs> that's that's good too. Mine's easy. Like that's an easy path. You took a uh, you took a, the same length of a path, and you were able to put great... Madsen in there, which we know is a favorite. <laughs> like, so so yeah. no, that 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 rocks. <laughs> if I can lead any roads through Michael Bean, Michael Madsen, Tom Sizemore, Chris Penn, I'll do it. So yeah. this is the second episode we've done this. And I like that in both episodes, the people with the challenge have come up with different paths. I like that. I like that, that we can have multiple paths for each yeah. of these things, yeah. which yeah. I will, I, I imagine will be true each time, but I like the fact that, you know, there's going to be multiple paths. So cool. it'll, it'll be fun Good to job. see where the game goes. Good job, dudes. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and EK in case she didn't catch, like we we're not just doing the actors like Bake, just Kevin Bacon, Six Degrees. We're doing yeah the director, producer, writers, whatever, or composer, whatever to jump around. So that creates a lot more pathways, I think. Too, it's awesome. It's fun, so, so much yeah. fun to see what can be done. It's just yeah. crazy to see the path. Form. Like who's all worked? Who's worked yeah. together? And yeah, how they I'm connect. Gonna, so like, cool. Yeah, it's a I'm big small do, world. I'm gonna do all one with key grips. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh my god well this was uh this was super fun guys ek it's always i say it every time it, it's so much fun having you here uh on the show especially talking about the nightmare on elm street movies yeah i feel like i stretched it out about an hour longer than it needed to be so sorry it is fun freddy doesn't get old it's such a fun movie and i I would say, you know, my wrap up would be 
I'm the opposite where the more I watch it, the more forgiving I am. Like mm. I don't, I don't need it to be a perfect film. I don't need the characters to be fleshed out. I just think that they're fun. And I think that this is a special effects extravaganza and the score is awesome. Mm -hmm. Everybody does a competent job and really you're just looking for a good time and, and want to have a fun watch. It, it does hold up in that way. So I'm glad we got to talk about it because I think given the circumstances, everybody did the best with what they could. And the end result is, yes, some of his lines aren't that great, but there are moments of, of kind of brilliance in this film, too. And I think one of the best lines that I opened up with as a joke, but it's true, is when he first comes back to life and it's this really creepy scene and he's still in shadow and he puts his hat on and he says, you shouldn't have buried me. I'm not dead. Like, that's that's a zinger, like, but not in a funny way. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's yeah. disturbing. If you actually are terrified as Kincaid was, and you now know the person you thought had, you had finally defeated has just come back and he's got you in a corner and he tells you that like, damn, what a way mm. to set the tone of the film. Kind of wish they would have kept that. But regardless, right. there are moments in this film that do hold up very, very well. And that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me just clarify, despite all my downer talk at the beginning, I I still really enjoy this movie. Like it's Yeah, it's, it's not like brilliant, but it's still yeah, cool. It's yeah. it at one point in my life, it was probably if I were to rank them, my favorite of all of them. Hmm. And and now it's probably the third, right? So it's like it's it's come down a couple notches, but it's still very high on the list. That's yeah, life experience too. You know? Yeah, you can't yeah, and I'm just an, to be the same person you were when you I'm were a kid. I'm just an older curmudgeon now. You know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> well, I think I think taste. a lot of these, a lot of these nightmare movies, the opinion's gonna change. I mean, as society changes, right? Like, look at part two. That mm -hmm. yeah, that was yeah. shunned and like totally forgotten about. That that was even like they wouldn't even talk about it. And then now that one has such relevance. And looking at it is a really strong film. It's a different Freddy, um, and it's not this Freddy, but it, it's really strong in its own way and about something completely different than most of the other Freddy movies. So, no. um, so I think it's okay that I mean, as time goes on and we as humans change and evolve, that we're going to look at these movies a little differently. But I think the general consensus is four was always up there as people's number one or two and probably now it's like two or three yeah. the majority i would think would say that you know i think what is number one will change a little bit for some people it's three some people it's one i think now there are some people who know who the second film is yeah for it's sure. being every year it's getting more and more kind of street cred as like the best freddy movie even though it breaks some of the freddy rules <laughs> but uh it's yeah. okay so um, I think my favorite is definitely the sixth movie. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. The can't Dark wait Horse. To hear, can't wait yeah. to hear why in two years. In two years, yeah. All I'll say is Johnny Depp's in that movie, by, by the way. I oh, think, that's... is that the one that Rachel takes the, the yeah. reins for? Yep. I'm going to, I'll go to bat with her a little bit. Like, yeah. she did her time and deserved a, a crack at it. There's so. there's some fun stuff. Yeah, we'll get um, there. But before it's we not get as there, bad as five. Yeah. So. We, we are going to cover uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, 
next Shocktober. So we're setting this up a year in advance. Yeah. PK, obviously. When I say invited. bad, it's awesome. <laughs> oh, I'll be there. I got a standee from the video store of him pushing the crib. And I had it in my bedroom for oh, years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That oh, was you're a gonna, cool, that was you're a gonna cool show poster. us, right? You're gonna yeah. you're gonna you've got I lost access. It. I, oh. I looked for it, man. I wish I still had I thought it was at my parents' house and when I was cleaning it out, didn't find it. But I had it Damn. for a long, long time. <laughs> well, EK, what what do you got coming up on Laser Graves? Where where can people catch that? Uh lasergraves.com. You can catch all the back episodes. You can follow us on Instagram at Lasergraves and kind of anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts check it out there's a little something for everybody thank nice. you guys i like yeah. honestly this, this always never lost on me how much fun it is that you bring me back and it just it's always a blast and always end up stretching your episodes on way too long but i really do have fun on here it's so I, much fun i think we should we go for a three-hour episode with you <laughs> well we're damn close well we, we did with the thing but <laughs> yeah yeah um Great, great. You, well, Dave. yeah. Thanks for being here, man. For yeah. sure. So, everybody, check out Laser Graves if you haven't already. Anywhere you get your podcast, it's an awesome look back at uh, you know a lot of '80s movies, pop culture things, like personality profiles. It's a fantastic uh, series that that EK covers. And you can check us out. We're Reconsideration Podcast on all the social media platforms except Threads. We're not on that. <laughs> check out check out our archives at reconsideration.com give us a five-star rating and review it always helps us uh, boost the show and uh we've got a lot more fun stuff coming up in shocktober we will wrap up shocktober with halloween six the curse of michael myers so stick around there's a lot more fun <laughs> we we will see you guys next time on reconsideration take care Bye now. penis monsters are in part four zero zero, zero baby there's zero penis things <laughs> one yep. gaping hole yeah where a penis <laughs> monster should be <laughs> if the two that, films I thought, combined I that was, a, was that a double entendre i don't know <laughs> i just